Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Timing has always been a key element in my life. Buzz Aldrin. And at one point you're walking across probably a hundred foot stretch where the, the ridge is maybe six inches wide and it's it's a drop on both sides so you have to be you have to be cautious and you have to be you know careful where you step and paying attention and the day we did it there was gusts wind gusts up to 80 or 90 kilometers an hour and when you're on a deadline like we were we just had to do it and we would wait for the gust to go down and then go and then wait for the gas to go away and then go. Uh, so that was definitely one of those times where we had to like coax each other over certain spots. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail, dirtbags and hiker trash. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. Well, this week, we're doing things a little bit differently. 
on the podcast, I've done a number of episodes with couples joining at the same time, but this week we are talking to the husband of one of our former guests. You may remember Bridget Scott from her episode about the Great Divide Trail and the wild way in which she had to book the permits for that trip. Joining us today is her husband, who is also an adventurer, Mark Scott. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Mark. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks, Doc, for, for having me. Absolutely. Remind remind us where you're calling in from. Uh, I'm calling in from Jasper National Park in uh, Alberta, which is in Canada. Jasper National Park. You you live in Jasper National Park, or are you calling in from, from one of the, uh, the remote bathrooms out there? <laughs> no, I don't think there's any Wi-Fi out there. So, yeah, we're in the Jasper Town site. Yeah. So, so I, I am jealous. What is it like living in a national park? Uh, it is pretty cool. You can walk out our, our front door, back door, and you can hit, you know, 10 different trails going each different direction. And you're just surrounded by the mountains wherever you go. So springtime, you have to watch out for bears, you know, uh, cougars, things like that. So you're always carrying bear spray, always talking. So it's it's an interesting uh, place to live, that's for sure. Now, it is so interesting in comparison. I live in Southern California, and right now the entire community is battening down the hatches because we're supposed to have some weather come in the next couple of days where there might there might be a dusting of snow and everybody is just going going wild on this so uh, everybody's really okay. concerned you know they're asking are we going to close schools uh you know it's, it's just panic right now and so just to com- contrast that with where mm-hmm. you're calling in from the wildlife the, the all the nature out there what what is the current snow level in Jasper well this year in fact is a a, a light year for snow our ski hill just hit the 100 centimeter base, which is about three feet. And we're usually you know, twice that. Um, and we did have a snow day today. We had a, a storm come through and kind of make the roads uh, a little bit treacherous. So I commute uh, to an outside town. And so I stayed home. I stayed off the highway today. So. so you're like the reverse of most national park visitors. You live in the park and you commute to a job outside the confines of the park. That's right. Yeah. A little town called Hinton, which is about an hour door to door for, for our, where I work. Oh, I imagine you have a lot of good time each day then to listen to podcasts. Well, I do. And yours is one on, on the, the favorite list. Nice. Nice. Thank you. All right. Hey, uh, you know, I talked to your wife, Bridget, and she had a great, a great episode. There are still some very vivid moments uh, that I can remember when, when <laughs> just thinking back to our interview, the one was just the crazy way you guys had to to book uh, the trip, the, the, the reservation system. And maybe we'll get to that a little bit later, but yeah. she did, she did not warn you off of uh, having an interview with me. She, she didn't say, Hey, Mark, what are you doing? Don't talk to this guy. No, no, no. She, she had a great time talking with you and she has one of her um, favorite times. I think she, really got to see or, or hear some of the her sayings that she she comes up with on a daily basis so it was it's funny to hear hear her on tape or on youtube i guess yeah nice nice now she picked up a trail name if i remember correctly is she scrambles she is scrambles yeah scrambles yeah yeah now in your time out on the trail have you also picked up a trail name i do have a trail name um they call me semicolon 
Oh, 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 I love it already. I don't, I don't even know the story, but I, I love the trail name semicolon. Yeah. Uh, lots of people think it's like an infinity thing that keeps going on and on for, you know, grammar, you put, stick a semicolon in and you can keep writing a sentence without it being a run on, but that's not the case. Uh, in 2014, my, uh, large intestine ruptured and they had to do a emergency, uh, ileostomy and took out pretty much most of it. I have uh, 10 centimeters. So that would be what in inches. It's uh, about one, one tenth of the amount of snowpack you have right now. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I don't, I don't have a lot of colon left and we were uh, doing our master's course uh, scrambles and I, and we use semicolons a lot. So she was the one who gave me the, the trail name of, of semicolon. Well, now I feel a little bad about laughing so hard at the, at the trail name. Now, yeah. I, oh no. <laughs> if, if you can't, if you can't have fun with, with things that happen to you, then that's, uh, it'll be a short life. I think a now, sad what, life. What, yeah. What is the story? If you don't mind sharing and you tell me you do mind sharing if you do, but what, how did, how did you rupture your colon? Uh, I've been, uh, I've had Crohn's for 30 something years i had it diagnosed when i was 21 um and crohn's is, is like colitis and it's just a chronic inflammation of the intestines and uh, it took well i 2014 so about 20 some years for it finally just to you know stop working and it was scarred so badly that it just it just ruptured uh, had a little pinhole in it thankfully and a little piece of of fat would like cover the hole and then open the hole with my moving. So I was probably sick for, I don't know, probably a week. I didn't feel well. I actually had, we had scrambled a peak uh, Thanksgiving weekend on the Monday and Friday is when it ruptured. Like when I went to the doctor and said, I don't feel good, something's wrong. So within an hour and a half, I was in surgery, getting it taken out. Wow. And how, how long is the typical colon? Uh, it's about five feet. Five feet. And they took it all out except for 10 centimeters? Yeah. Wow. Well, that's just over five five inches, I guess. Yeah. And so how? a couple, couple follow-up questions there. Number one, how does that impact your, your daily life? What How does it impact your, your diet and, and how that all works? And number two, has it gotten in the way of you being able to get out there and explore? Um, like when I did have the ileostomy bag, I had to be like very careful in my planning. Cause you had to like change out the bags every once in a while. Um, so the summer I had it, we hiked, I think over 300 miles down in Glacier National Park, uh, scrambled probably 15 or 16 peaks. Uh, so it didn't slow me down. It just made planning a little bit harder. Um, 2016, I was fortunate enough to get it reversed. So I don't have the colostomy bag anymore and I'm, I'm as healthy as I've been when I was like a, a teenager, as far as my, my guts. Um, I do have to be careful. I can't eat popcorn or like raw cauliflower or broccoli in fear of a, a, a blockage. But well, if you have to give, if you have to give up uh, popcorn, cauliflower and broccoli, I mean, that's, that's not that bad, right? No, no. <laughs> You get milk duds when you go to a movie now. 
That's right. If you if you said you had to give up, you know, chocolate cake or something, that that would be that would be a real oh, hardship. Yes, it definitely would be. <laughs> yeah. Now I know with a with a five foot long colon, I mean the 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 food that you eat goes through the digestive process, and it it takes you know a certain amount of time to go through your through your system because you only have ten centimeters. Does it go through your system quicker then? Very quickly, yeah. Like by by noon, I'm usually like it's gone through. I've had breakfast at eight. And, you know, so every, every three, four hours, it's usually run, run its course where I think the average person could be six, seven, eight. You know, I've, I've hiked with some guys who, who don't poop for two days. So <laughs> I don't know how they do it. They've got 10 foot long colons. <laughs> I guess so. They've got extra. They're double colon instead of semicolon. Double colon. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, when you had the, the colostomy bag, I mean, it's like walking around with your own wag bag. I mean, you didn't, you know, you didn't have to worry about digging a hole. No, that's right. Um, it was, dare I say, a poopy situation, but I managed. Yeah. You got to find the silver lining, semicolon. Always find oh, exactly. the silver lining. That's exactly. Right. You got to get All out about there. perspective. <laughs> All right. Well, have, are you, have you listened? I, I imagine you've listened to the podcast before since Bridget's been on it. And you mentioned the time of your favorites. Yeah, I have. I've, uh, like... Quadzilla and Jupiter, those were like great guys to listen to. Uh, one of my first ones I I really what tuned me into your station was uh, the interview with Constantine or uh, Ryan Bunting. And uh, the reason I was listening because he had done the Great Divide Trail with his partner Magpie, and I wanted to hear his his version of the Great Divide Trail. And they definitely had a rougher time than than we did. They left much earlier, had way more snow, way more rivers to cross. It, you know, there was one case where they they almost drowned crossing a river up north. And when we got to it, it was it was pretty mellow. So it was it was an interesting uh, lesson, that's for sure. Did you listen to the Trail Savants episode? The the four guys that did the calendar year triple crown. Uh no, I haven't. No. Okay, that came out like a like maybe a month ago or so. I managed to get all four of the guys who completed the calendar year triple crown on the same episode. Oh, and, nice. Uh, it was co-hosted by, by Jeff Garmeyer too. So he, he came on okay. as well, add a little yeah. comedic flavor. I, uh, we ran into Quadzilla on the end of the PCT this summer. Uh, so I, I kind of fanboyed him a little bit, like that's <laughs> <laughs> kind of embarrassing to say, but I had been waiting for him to pass us for weeks and he finally passed us just before the border. So, it was uh it was a a good meeting. I, I definitely remember that. Now, semicolon, take us through that. I mean, I've always been a little curious about what you know what 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 is a a through hiker fanboy? How does that whole uh, experience go? Well, yeah, you're looking over your shoulder lots. Like, is he coming around the corner? Like that kind of stuff. And then when he finally came up, he was wearing his distinctive triple crown shirt and the quads. You can't mistake anybody those quads just stick right out. So, uh, we, I said, hi, how you doing? And we had some news about hearts past being closed. So we exchanged that bit of information and I was a little worried about getting out and he was like, nah, it'll be fine. They'll let us go. And he was right. It all worked out in the end for us. So, um, but it was, it was a, it was a short meeting and we definitely couldn't keep up with them. 
Now, semicolon, did you slow play it? I mean, did you not let him know right away that you knew exactly who he was and that you were a big fan? Or did it come out r- immediately that... Uh, oh, pr- probably in the first three sentences, I was like, I've been following you since uh, the <laughs> the Appalachian Trail. <laughs> so, yeah, it was it was pretty quick. Nice. And what did, what did Bridget think of your fanboying? Well, she still ribs me about it. Yeah. Of course. Get a little crow when we talk about Quadzilla. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, as a regular listener, you know that we have a segment towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Inside of the Week. And that's where I will turn to you and ask you to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. So don't be surprised. Okay. Now, you are on the hook for trail wisdom, you know, throughout the episode. But Oh, sure. There's that one at the end for sure. Okay. Okay. The Must Bring Gear Review. Hey, semicolon. Another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Six Moon Designs. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So, semicolon, what do you have to have with you out there? Man, I've, I've thought about this one. I've got two real close ones, but I think the one that wins out is a little device called a, a thermocell. And it's a, it's a bug repellent that looks like a, looks like a little mini stove that screws onto a isobutane tank. And it creates a, a dome of protection against mosquitoes. And it, it's a game changer. Like this summer in Oregon, when the mosquitoes were awful, we were able to eat supper outside the tent consistently. There was only one night where the mosquitoes were so bad that we had to go in our tent and eat. So it's it's a game changer. And people were like, "What is that thing? What are you? Why are you carrying that?" And then we would we would set it up, turn it on, and within because it takes about five six minutes for it to actually give you that dome of protection but then people were like aren't the bugs biting, biting you i'm like nope we're good so then we would put, invite people into our, our little bubble and they were like i gotta get me one of those things you should have charged them a mission well we thought about writing thermocell because we have definitely told our fair share of people about it and i'm I bet you most of those people have gone out and bought one yeah, step right into the dome of protection. That'll be five dollars, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so those work, huh? I've always been. I've seen. I've seen the products listed as I'm scrolling through, you know, REI or Amazon, and I've always been wondering, you know, how effective are those? Pretty good, it sounds like. They're really good. They're like I said, there was one night, uh, a little lake called Storm Lake, in Oregon, and they were. They just didn't care about that thing that night. But other than that, you could you could have a hundred mosquitoes swarming you, and you turn it on, and in five six minutes they just go away. And you can see them; they hover above you, and but they won't come any closer. They just in scared of that whatever poison it is. It's probably cancer causing, but <laughs> we'll we'll deal with it later. It can't be as bad as the 100% DEET I run, I rub all over my face and, and arms until my, my lips are numb. I realize that when my, my lips are numb that I, I've probably gone a little bit too far, but you know, I don't want the bug on me. 
<laughs> I don't want the bites. Yeah. Now I've had I've had several guests on here that have quipped that the state bird of Oregon is the mosquito. Oh, I believe it. Are <laughs> you away if you're a small child? They grow them big up there. <laughs> Very big. Nice. Now you said you had two, and you're kind of waffling back and forth between the two. What's, what's the second one? Can we get a Can we get a bonus one for this episode? Sure. Um, my sleepwear. Like, um, I know lots of people don't don't wear it. We've run into through, lots of through hikers that don't wear sleepwear. They just crawl into their sleeping bag, and I just I can't do that. I I have a very light weight pair of long johns and like a base layer top, and it weighs probably six ounces. But it's it's nice like when you get into camp, wash off a bit, climb into those, get into bed, you feel somewhat clean. And fresh when you do that, as opposed to climbing into the into your sleeping bag all gross and grimy. And even if you wash down, you, you don't get a good job cleaning, cleaning off in a lake, really. Yeah. So are you saying that other hikers they they climb into their bag au natural, or are, are they just wearing their 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 scummy clothes from from the days hiking? I've seen a lot of that. Yeah. Both. Just crawling into tent, and you could you can hear them sawing logs in in minutes because they're you know they're exhausted. So I don't think they have time to change or anything. They just crawl in, go to bed. All right, so good base layer makes you makes yeah. you feel better. Got it. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, to help us talk about some gear for a little bit longer, we've got it's the hiking pole. The hiking pole. This is uh, pole spelled P O L L. Like a survey, not like the, mm-hmm. the gear that you hold in your hands out there on a hike. And this is a seven-question survey that's going to help me give you a score on the sanity scale from one to a hundred, with one being okay. completely insane and one hundred being completely sane. Now, if you are married to Bridget, if you're married to Scrambles, and you you've hiked the uh, the Great Divide Trail, it's an automatic point loss of of twenty five points. So your highest oh, possible okay. score is seventy five. Seventy five. All right. Okay. I think I, that's fair, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if I were to ask Bridget, what, what would she score semicolon on, on the sanity scale? Where, where would she put mm. you? I mean, she knows you best, so probably like a mid sixty. I'm not. I'm not too crazy. I'm. Ah, I do some crazy stuff, but I always am cautious. I guess so. Yeah, probably sixty in there. Sixty. Okay. All right. So, are you ready for this? Seven questions. Sure. These are all hiking related, and we're going to find out uh, which side of the issue you fall on for each of these. Okay. Okay. Question number one, trekking poles or no trekking poles out there? Uh, trekking poles. Yeah, for sure. I, uh, when I first started hiking, didn't use them. And then I think the next year I decided going up some peaks, scrambling peaks, and coming down, it was a game changer because tripping on, you know, scree and talus, you're constantly flopping all over. And it definitely saved my my knees and my face, you know, quite a few times. So definitely hiking poles. Yeah, they do help with the knees. And it is an extra point of contact with the ground. I mean, how many times? I, I can say it, it saved my my face probably at least two dozen times where I, I could have got down hard, but was yeah. able to catch myself because of the pole. Yeah. For sure. And I've bent quite a few <laughs> doing that very thing. Yeah. Do you have a favorite brand of trekking pole? 
I, we've been using black diamonds for years yeah. with uh, the shocks in them, but they've changed how they, uh, they're designed. They've got a quick release on the bottom. And I broke a pair in, oh, where, where was it? By the, like within the first two weeks uh, this summer. So I've, I've gone away from that and I'm trying some Compradels, see how they work. Now, how complicated can a pole get? You know, you're thinking, okay, I got, no, it's a hiking pole. You're telling mm -hmm. me that the black diamond hiking pole, and this is this, my, my listeners are going to say, who is this guy talking? Cause aren't you supposed to be an expert <laughs> on hiking stuff? But I, I, I have never heard of shock absorbers and quick release on, on oh. a hiking pole. Oh yeah. Um, and that model has been around since like, I think we bought our first pair in, in 2009 with that shock. Um, so maybe it's, maybe it's one of those things you, we can get up in Canada and, and down in the States, you can't. It is the maybe Canadian like the e shock e absorber model, right? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I'll have to put that on my list. Put it on my, my, okay. my Christmas list. All right. Question number two, what's on your feet, boots or trail runners? Uh, trail runners. Yeah. It was, uh. I've got pretty bad feet. So I, I wore big hiking boots for the longest time. And then we did the great divide trail, uh, while watching and hearing, uh, Constantine talk about all the river crossings and how the trail runners, they dry up much quicker and we made the switch over then. And it's been good. It's, it's like, you, you no way you can do 30 miles and a big set of heavy, heavy boots. Well, I can't anyway. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like you've made the natural progression from kind of what you thought hiking should be about. You know, you didn't have poles at the, at the beginning. Now you have poles. You started out in boots. Now you're in trail runners. So you, you from, from your experience, you have evolved to where you are right now. And so oh, for oh, any yeah. of our, our listeners out there who maybe novice hikers or maybe not hikers at all, but are considering doing some hiking and some backpacking, you know, take it from the experts you know, mm -hmm. these things are important and, and, and people experienced hikers have arrived at these decisions for a reason. You don't have to yeah. you know, feel the pressure to wear hiking boots and not take trekking poles. So that's, that's part of the reason we do this poll. Yeah. Okay. Question number three, when it comes to your sleep system, do you use a tent, a tarp, hammock, bivy, or cowboy camping? Uh, definitely a tent and always have. Um, my partner does not like bugs and she does not like mice and I'm not a big fan of, uh, spiders and I just can't imagine having those critters rolling around, crawling across me in the evening. So a tent, keep the critters out. Keep the creepy Carly's off of you. That's right. Got it. Makes sense. I had a guy on who, he was bound to determine he was doing the PCT and he was going to hike the entire PCT while cowboy camping. And he, he did just fine until he woke up one night with a scorpion on his face. <laughs> I think I heard, I the next, to to the next town yeah. he went into, he, he bought himself a tent. So there you go. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> okay. How about uh, question number four, when it comes to your sleep system, sleeping bag or a quilt? Both. Both. Yeah, both. Um, our shoulder season up in Canada, can get pretty cold so we have a minus nine both of us uh minus nine nemo mummy bag for those uh old spring and fall hikes 
And then our summer bag is a, it is a Z pack. I think a 20 degree bag, a double. So I carry, I carry the sleeping bag and, and Bridget carries the tent or vice versa. So we kind of make our compromise with weight there. So you don't do separate tents? <laughs> no, no. I give off too much heat, Doc. <laughs> uh, that helps with the uh, the sleeping bag rating, then. That's right. Yeah. So you said you said you said both though in terms of quilts. I thought I just heard you talk about uh, sleeping bags there. Um. So our our sleeping bag is the Nemo, mm -hmm. and our quilt is uh, the Z Pack one. Oh, got it. Got it. So it depends on the time of season. Uh, it depends on the season that you're you're hiking in, or do you use That's both right. during the winter? Oh no, we're no okay. We're we don't or winter camp. No, the 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 Z pack quilt is for summer when it gets uh, warmer in the evening. Got it. Got it. All right. Question number. What are we on? Five. Well, when it comes it. to food, you stove guy, cold soak, or stoveless. Oh, definitely a stove. 100% stove. Yeah. We like uh, our hot meal at the summer at supper. Yeah. I don't care what Bridget says. I mean, you're 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 kind of reasonable. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> See a solid 60. Yeah, and <laughs> we're uh we're we're big coffee drinkers too. Um we start our morning with a cup of cup of joe right away and then at lunch We'll have a, another one, and there's sometimes we might stop at five and have a quick snack and, and a coffee. So uh, they always joke around that we have more coffee in our bag than than snacks. So <laughs> makes us now, giggle. Now, do you have just kind of like the the uh, like the granulated coffee you pour into water, or do you have like a, a specialized coffee setup? No, it's we use the instant coffee, but we've yeah. we've used to find a couple of nice blends. Um, I think Nabob's got an espresso brand that is is pretty pretty good. Like it's it's dark enough that you it feels like you're drinking coffee and gives you a, a quick zip of energy. Okay, just because you're out there in the middle of nowhere doesn't mean you have to to skimp on on uh, luxury. Uh, that's right. That is, that's definitely one of our luxury items for sure. Okay. Question six: What uh, is is life better above or below the tree line? Definitely above. Yeah, we uh, we have scrambled uh, close to 150 peaks in our 15 years of of adventuring, and when we get above treeline, that's where my smile really doubles. Like I love being able to see for miles and miles and pick out other peaks that you know we've been on this peak and that peak over there, and um, so we always bring a map when we do that so we can name those peaks. But definitely. Definitely above tree line. Yeah. Okay. And let's see. Question number seven. What's more important, pack weight or luxury items? Uh, outside of coffee, that's one of our few luxuries. So I think as we've progressed, pack weights become more and more of an issue. Um, I, my base weight for the our lash of the PCT was 13 pounds. I think Bridget's was... Uh, 15. So we, we've got it down quite a bit from our early days of backpacking. Wow. 13 pounds. That's, that's impressive. Thanks. 
Okay. Well, hey, semicolon, I've got to uh, do a little math here. Put your answers through the the John Freaky Muirpod algorithm. Got to carry the two. Going to divide by root three. Going to multiply that by pi. And we're going to adjust for the the uh, 10 centimeters of snowpack on the uh, the hill there <laughs> in Jasper. And I come up with a score of 57. Oh, okay. That was a little close. That's right. That's right. Now that that score can go up or down as we progress through the interview it depends on how crazy you get. So we'll see. <laughs> okay. All right. Hey, semicolon. Before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit. Love to hear about your background, where you grew up. Did you play sports and hobbies as a kid? And how did you get involved in this whole thing called through hiking? Sure. Yeah, I uh, I grew up on a farm in southern Saskatchewan. We we had a mixed farm of grain and cows. Um, not far from the Montana border. We could be in Montana in 40 minutes or so. So we were um, down in a small town, 400 and so people. So I, as most small town kids, I played every sport that was available. Uh, what, was the name, what was the name of the small town? Because Saskatchewan has some interesting names. Uh, it's nothing like Climax or Big Beaver or something like that, but a little place called Ogama. Ogama. Okay. I, I didn't know if you were going to say Moose Jaw. Oh, no. It's, it's actually south of Moose Jaw. Yeah. South of Moose Jaw. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The the history, history of Ogama is that it was Omega to begin with. And somebody messed up on the sign that was on the rail line and mixed up the, the letters and became Ogama. And they left it. Because why not? It yes. works. Why not? <laughs> And so you grew up in a small town, 400 people or so, and you, you played all the sports. Yeah. I mean, I, I even curled at one point, but I was mostly a, a hockey player and a, a volleyball player. I was, I was a better volleyball player than hockey. That's definite, definite for sure. Um, now for yeah. our listeners in the States, when he says he curled for a bit, he, he's not talking about weightlifting. What, what, <laughs> what is, what is curling semicolon? Uh, curling is a sport where you've got eight of these 12 pound rocks that you slide down. Oh, I don't know. It's about a hundred feet of ice and you've got two guys that chase the rock. And if it needs to do certain things like turn left or turn right or stay straight, these sweepers have to, uh, heat up the ice in front of the rock. So it, it goes where it's supposed to go. And after 16 throws, the closest one to the pin gets points. And were, were you, what are the different positions? There's the sweepers, as you, as you mentioned, what about the guy who, who initially slides the rock? Is it, what's the name of that position? Uh, well, they, they're called a first who throws his first two rocks, a second real original throws the next two third, even more original. And then the skip and the skip is like the, the captain of the, of the team. He calls most of the, the plays and stuff. If you, you want to call them plays, I guess. I don't know. I, I only did it for a year. So. <laughs> Which position were you? I was the lead. I was the rookie of the team, so that's where I got put. Got it. Got it. First, second, third, skip. I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the same people that named the town o Ogema because it just it, it's just what it was, right? So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about anything else you got? How did you get involved in hiking? Um, my dad 
took us on a road trip one summer. I think when I was 15, he took us down to Yellowstone and a big RV with my grandparents. And when we drove up that Bear Paw Highway, which is quite a feat of engineering, I was just, wow, these are something, these mountains. So I've always had a hankering from, for the mountains. And then I, uh, when I went off to university uh, to get my teaching degree, uh, one of the minors that I could take was outdoor ed, so teaching in the outdoors. And that became one of my minor studies. And we, part of the course, you had to do a, a five-day winter survival course. And then you had a three-week canoe trip in northern Saskatchewan, where there are thousands of lakes to, to canoe. So from there, I just kind of started backpacking and hiking. And then when Scrambles and I got together, we got like really into it. Living in southern Saskatchewan, we were, we were closer to Montana, the Glacier National Park, than our own Canadian mountains. So we would jump over the border. Um, and cross over on the number two to the glacier and we could be there in seven hours. So that's, that's how we, we kind of cut our teeth in, in hiking and slowly progress from hiking to scrambling. Um, and then the bigger hikes, I our first hike was, I think three days or sorry, our first backpack was three days and our pack was probably 60 pounds for three days. <laughs> we had stuff falling off everywhere. Yeah. A couple so we, questions. A couple questions, semicolon. One is sure. I've talked to a few guests who have talked about their college experience and having either a major or a minor in some kind of outdoor education or recreation where they do these just fantastic things, you know, like like you said, these 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 remote hikes and just getting that under their belt. I mean, how cool is that to, to have that experience in college? I wish, I wish I would have known about that when I was in college. I would have gotten a much earlier start on this outdoor stuff than than just mm -hmm. uh, you know eight years ago. So yeah. I'm very jealous about that. Very fortunate I was, yeah. Yeah. And then when when you met Bridget, um, did you know right off the bat that she was into the same kind of things like hiking and scrambling or was, was that part of the matchmaking process or it, you just got lucky that way? Uh, we, I think we both shared a, a love of the outdoors and she had been spending time hiking and I've joined along with her and it just became a, a, a great pairing. And, uh, from there we everything we do is kind of outdoors. So it's definitely a nice pairing for us to find each other. Nice. It's awesome to have a common pursuit like that and be able to, to uh, do it with each other out there in the outdoors. When I say do it with each other, I'm talking about hiking. No, I don't, I don't. Uh, well, yeah. Of course. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay. We'll leave it there. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Very good. All right. Now we talked a little bit earlier about you commuting for your, for your day job. What is your day job? Uh, I am a grade seven math and science teacher at a elementary school in Hinton, which is about an hour, hour out of the park. Okay. So great. You said grade seven and eight, and then you said elementary. Now here in the States, that'd be, that'd be considered like junior high or middle school. Are the schools yeah, a our, bit differently in Canada? I think it goes from division, division, like our, our town or the town I work in, they don't have a middle year school. 
So the elementary goes from K to seven and the high school goes from eight to 12. And I think there are other school districts that do have those, that middle year um, population, but I don't think we have enough kids to warrant the, that next level of middle years. Yeah. It did probably, I'm sure it depends on the town population. You said it was Hinton? Hinton. Yeah. Hinton. How big is Hinton? Just under 10,000 people. Okay. All right. How many kids in the school? Uh, we have 320 and that's our K to K to seven. Wow. Okay. And do you have a, do you, do you prefer science or math? I, I prefer phys ed, but <laughs> these are the <laughs> jobs that I could find. Uh, can't be too picky out here. Um, so yeah, that that's what's there. And if I had to choose between math or science, I think it would be, it would be science. Science. And is there a particular lesson or, or, uh, um, unit that you prefer to teach in science? Is there a favorite time of the year? Cause you're going to get to that unit and be able to share it with the kids. Uh, I like the ecology part. We can get outside and do some field studies in our forest and in the foothills. Uh, I also like the, our heat and temperature. One of my favorite labs is we, I get the kids to make sleeping bags out of a variety of material they can find. So, you know, house wrap, mylar, poly, stick fill it full of straw or grass or whatever they have. And then do you go out and, and take those sleeping bags and try them out? And is this like a, a, a Canadian sweatshop? <laughs> it could be, I could make up my own, my own company. We'll call it Z packs. <laughs> Z packs. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> All right. Any any of your students listening in right now? Uh, I don't think so. I they're uh, my my grade this year is they're not a true outdoors group. They they spend a lot of time indoors playing video games. So I it's different than the last few years. They were my last few years were quite adventurous set of kids who love skiing and hiking and backpacking. So they were right right up my alley. Now, semicolon, I'm going to give you some advice here as an educator. I think you need to pull back onto your, uh, go back to your, your college roots and your, your minor in outdoor education. You need to schedule a, you know, a five or a seven or a nine day trip out into the middle of nowhere <laughs> with these kids, you know, kind of like outward bound, you teach them some real values here. Yeah. Get them off the video games, get them outside. Dis disconnect them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into uh, some tales from the trail. We'll talk about the, the Great Divide Trail. We're going to talk about what the heck this lash thing is that you mentioned earlier on and uh, hear about some peak bagging. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water, using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. 
Six Moon Designs has been innovating ultralight backpacking gear for the past 20 years. With a wide range of products ranging from ultralight shelters to backpacks and accessories like their extensive line of trekking umbrellas, Six Moon Designs is sure to have a great piece of gear for your needs. With the company philosophy being that gear should aid one's experience, not define it, Six Moon Designs thinks the more time people spend outside the natural world, the better off this world will be. And remember, go wild, live young. This episode is sponsored by Jolly Gear. Are you tired of compromising between the ventilation of a button-down and the full protection of a sun hoodie? With the Triple Crown button-down, you can have the best of both. Plus, their fun standout patterns will have you the talk of the trail. Visit them at jollygear.com. Thru-hiker owned, Jolly Gear, where fun meets functional. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then, you can distribute your podcast to Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Mark Scott, a.k.a. Semicolon, uh, about uh, his life up in Jasper National Park. It is a national park, right? It is, yeah. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And uh, how he makes a living. And now we're going to talk about some adventure. Although, you know, I, I guess you could say that teaching math and science to seventh graders, uh, that's mm-hmm. an adventure every day, right? Yep. Every day, every hour, there's something different to explore. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm in education as well. And there are plenty of days where I come home and I, I say, huh, when I got up this morning, I had no idea I'd be dealing with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, can appreciate that. Just what happens in education. <clears throat> All right. Hey, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some hiking adventure. Now, how did you get your start? Did you immediately start off with the, with the Great Divide Trail or did you have some, some preliminary experiences to, to try out the gear or just to get acquainted with, with backpacking? My very first backpack was in uh, Waterton National Park with my dad when I was 19. And that that's the, shares the same border as Glacier National Park um, as part of that Peace Park. Uh, so that was my first kick at the can. And we had like, the old school tube frame backpacks, uh, big old sleeping bags that weighed way too much. Brought in a cast iron frying pan to cook our supper. Uh, it was it was a, a heavy pack. Good thing it was a short trail. Um, and then from how, there, how far, how far was it? Um, I think about eleven kilometers, so just over six miles. Okay. Now the dad, you know, as, as a dad myself and going on a hike with a 19 year old, I would of course make him carry the big heavy frying pan or the other stuff that we brought. 
Is that, is that what he did? You, you were you the oh, pack, oh, pack mule? Pack mule. Yeah, the, the frying pan. I had all the, the fishing rods and the tackle mm-hmm. as we were up there to fish. Uh, so yeah, I was I was definitely the mule that day. Yeah, and that was back when you had all of your colon. So I mean, that's that's to be expected. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Uh, and from there, I think our, our next few years we spent in, I spent in Glacier National Park um, doing, we started off day hiking a lot. We did a lot of the trails around the Two Medicine, the Mini Glacier area, a lot of the day hikes there. And then we just slowly progressed into uh, three-day backpacks. I think our, our first one was into Glens Lake Head uh, in Glacier National Park up in the north northern part off the belly river and that was again such a learning experience i'd bought new packs but still were carrying you know too much luxury items i I think at at the time yeah so uh (laughs) we ran into a ranger that day and on our first day in and he you could see he's just shaking his head like what are these guys doing (laughs) but you know you do that's never a good sign when you talk to a ranger and the ranger just kind of looks at you sideways and kind of shakes his head a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then you wonder like, okay, what shouldn't I have brought? <laughs> now, any, I think when I think of Canadian hiking, I'm thinking that there's some pretty big animals out there. Any animal encounters on those, those early trips? Yeah, we ran into um, a couple, I should say a couple, probably a half, no, probably a dozen bears uh, in those first few years and pretty close contact. If you want to say like 10 feet is, is pretty close. We've had a, a few of those times where you're around a corner, bear can't hear you, can't smell you. And he's like, Oh, hi bear. And they don't really, they didn't really care for us. So they just kind of moseyed along their way. Never really had a, a big, like a, a big, bluff charge or anything like that that you hear of they seem to always like not really care we were there um but yeah definitely definitely many bear stories to tell you yeah grizzlies or black bears in glacier it's mostly was mostly grizzlies um the black bears usually ran away right away as soon as they they would see us but there was there was an occasional bear down in the south part or sorry black bear in the south up glacier now two different approaches when you encounter bears depending on um you know what kind of bear it is i mean if it's a black bear they say to get big right make yourself big and and loud mm-hmm. uh, to try and you know tell the bear that you shouldn't mess with me yeah and that, that typically works now with a grizzly I, I hear that the approach is that you you trip your partner push him down and you run as, <laughs> as fast as you can run like hell yeah <laughs> run like hell that's right no with the grizzlies with the grizzlies you're supposed to play dead right you're supposed to curl up in the in a field position which man that hmm, that goes against every instinct i have oh, definitely definitely they they would sh- always show the bear safety video in glacier national park and that was one of the hilarious parts of it when they would fall on the ground and do the re- safety thing so the bear couldn't flip you over i've seen a bear rip through a, a stump of a tree like nothing he's gonna flip you over like nothing so I might fight back. Yeah, this is not a, a wrestling match where you're trying to not get not get pinned. This is <laughs> this is something with claws and teeth. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. now I'm, I'm probably gonna get an angry email about you know bear safety and you're supposed to play dead and so okay i stipulate that i'm just saying it would be tough for me to do that knowing what what it's gonna do mm-hmm. yeah yeah um we always carry bear spray i've never had to dis- discharge it had the the safeties off qu- quite a few times uh, but been lucky enough that they've always you know once they realize who we are they seem to like oh humans Okay, let's go. Yeah, I talked to a guy. I don't know if you heard the episode. Um, might have been Chattahoochee, uh, who who had his bear spray in his tent, and there was a bear outside, and it was too close for comfort, so he was gonna let it rip, and he he didn't get the tent flap open all the way or something, and end up you know oh, no. spraying it in in his tent in a closed tent. He was he was suffering for a while. Yeah, well those those accidental firings happen. When we were doing the Great Divide, one of our our friends was uh, using the washroom in the bush, uh, and we hear this, and we're like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> when she stood up to pull her pants up, uh, she discharged her bear spray. <laughs> so luckily, it mo- went mostly on her clothes, a little bit on her hiking hiking poles. But um, it was so accidental. She-, she wasn't trying to use it as a, a bidet. <laughs> no, <Ouch>. no. <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. All right. Now, so I remember vividly uh, Scrambles telling me about how she she was set to book all the permits. I think it was for the Great Divide Trail. Yes. Yeah. Right. And she talked about this having multiple devices up. Am I, am I remember, remembering this correctly? Oh yeah, she I think practice we had, run. She had multiple devices up. She had friends. She had like, enlisted friends to yep. assist. I mean, this is this is some crazy scenario. I have heard that they've made the permitting system in Canada a little bit more user friendly since then. Is that? Do you know if that's correct or not? Um, this year, in fact, they've they're supposed to have revamped it. I'm not sure of the date that we can actually book yet. I don't know if they've released that date. But there was a an article just this weekend about how they figure like it was the same people that did the revamp that did the crash to in 2020 no 2021 it crashed on on everybody so the people making the improvements were the people who had a system that didn't work in the first place so we're, our fingers are crossed doesn't it, doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. No, it really doesn't. Not at all. All right. So so the Great Divide Trail, it is about 700 miles, I think. Maybe 1,100, a little over 1,100 kilometers. Yeah, it, it depends on, you know, there's some alternates that can add some, some mileage to it. I think it was around 1,200 when we did it. We did, well, we didn't do every alternate, but we definitely... I'd say we did three quarters of the alternates that were out there for us to do. Now, how long have you two been married? Oh, put me on the spot here. Uh, so we can we can edit this part out if 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 uh, you get it wrong. <laughs> so eleven years. Yeah, it'll be eleven years in May. Eleven years, and how many years into the marriage did you guys look at each other and say, "You know what? Let's go on a seven hundred mile hiking trip." Well, that was that was a memorable evening because we were sitting down planning out our summer adventures, and we kept putting in these sections of the Great Divide Trail as 
like a seven day trip or a six day trip, you know, that we, we, we could do in our, our summers off. Um, and then we got another section in there and then another section in there of the great divide. And we just looked at each other and almost simultaneously said, we should just do the whole thing if we're doing three out of the seven sections. So within like a couple minutes, we decided we're going to hike the great divide. Well, we, we had talked about it for a new, you know, a few years beforehand about doing it. We had run into a set of brothers that were from the Netherlands in Banff that were, that were doing it before gut hooks, before the real uh, navigation systems that we all use now. And we, when we met them, they had, um, you know, those, those rings that you can put paper or keys in. He had all his maps on this little key ring. So if he needed to go to section F, he just flipped to F. And, but that thing was probably, you know, two inches, three inches thick of just maps that he had photocopied. And he was carrying that around for the summer. Luxury item. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Now, I mean, cohabitating, being married, I mean, that, that's, it, 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 that's, there's work that goes into that. Let's just say, I mean, it's not always mm-hmm. easy. It's not always sunshine and rainbows, you know, it's, it, especially during the first 10 years, you know, I I've been married. I've been lucky, lucky enough to be married for, for 30 plus years now. And, and those first 10 years, you, you're, you are learning each other and you're, you're kind of getting this whole way of living and thinking and acting you get it down mm-hmm. and so during 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 the first 10 years 11 years and going out on a 700 mile backpacking trip i mean that adds a whole new level of stress to to the relationship how did it go i went really well like we like you say you, you have your moments but very rarely do we have those moments together like at the same time so if i'm having a bad day She's usually not, and she can get me out of that funk, and it it goes the other way as well. Uh, it, I mean, I think it only made us stronger, only, you know, closer, because there were some some wild things out there <laughs> that you had to be you had to work together. So, in order to, to make it work, fantastic. What sorts of wild things? We we love to hear about wild things happening out there. Uh, there was there was a few routes that got a little sketchy. Uh, there was an alternate called the the North Over, and you kind of go out of the National Park into B- British Columbia, and at one point you're walking across probably a hundred foot stretch where the the ridge is maybe six inches wide, and it's it's a drop on both sides, so you have to be you have to be cautious and you have to be you know careful where you step and paying attention. And the day we did it, there was gusts, wind gusts up to 80 or 90 kilometers an hour. And when you're on a deadline like we were, we just had to do it. And we would wait for the gust to go down and then go. And then wait for the gust to go away and then go. Uh, So that was definitely one of those times where we had to like coax each other over certain spots. Now, semicolon. I don't want to. I don't want to shock you with this, but wind gusts are not like the ocean tides. They don't. They don't have a set schedule. <laughs> so waiting, waiting, waiting to go between gusts. Not sure how how accurate you could possibly be on that. 
Well, we got across anyway. <laughs> okay. Now t- tell us the, the route of the Great Divide Trail. 700 miles. Wh- where where does it go? What, what path does it follow uh, generally? Well, the, the southern terminus starts in uh, the Waterton Glacier, Waterton Glacier National Park border. Uh, so on the 49th parallel and then goes up, follows the basically the the divide up to Coleman, which is a small town just on the border of Alberta and BC. And it goes up through uh, Assiniboian Provincial Park, goes up to Banff, or more particularly Sunshine Village, and then snakes its way through Banff, through Yoho, and sorry, Banff, Kootenai, then Yoho, and then through some backside of Banff that nobody ever goes to. Uh, and then, you, then you're halfway once you hit Sass Crossing, which is, um, the edge of, not quite the edge of Banff and Jasper, but you kind of snake your way into Jasper from there. And then you go all the way th- to Jasper's town site and then 300 kilometers north of that. And you finish at the Northern terminus, a little lake called Kakwa Lake in Kakwa Provincial Park. Okay. Now, Yoho. Was that originally Yuhu and then somebody uh, misspelled it and they just left it as Yoho? <laughs> oh, that would be a good story. Uh, no, it's not. I, and, you know, I, I'm not sure the original name of Yoho, where it came from. <laughs> and you, you mentioned the the southern terminus and the northern terminus. Is this a trail that goes pretty much north to south or is there, is there a lot of uh, twists and turns in this in this trail? Uh it's pretty much north and south. There are a couple deviations uh, east, or sorry, mostly west. I guess they go up because our our mountain ranges kind of go up on a, a angle or like that. So you eventually have to work your way west at some point to get back on to the divide. And you cross the divide, I don't know, might be 100 times over that time. Yeah. It, was that frustrating? Like we just went over this. Um, who made this trail well that that is one of the the things on it's called the the wildest through hike and there are parts of it where you're making your own trail up and over a pass the elevation gain and loss in a day is just outstanding you're you're tuckered after 26 i don't think we i don't think we did a day bigger than than 18 miles I know I'm bouncing back and forth with uh, units, but I think I don't think we did a day bigger than 18. Well, our, our American listeners they they appreciate the the imperial system. It's, it's tough for them to do math. <laughs> so um, now, how, as teachers, because Bridge Bridget is also a teacher, right? Yeah, that's correct. Now, as as teachers, you have you have the the summers off, which is helpful for ex, um, exploring and, and getting out there. How long did it take you to do the Great Divide Trail? Uh, we mapped it out. We did it in 60 days. 60 days. That's a full summer right there. Yeah, it, it definitely was. Yeah, we went to school the next day. <laughs> That's good timing. I mean, it did was. it get stressful there towards the end? Towards the end, it did. We actually had to not take a zero day as we had kind of miscalculated our last 13 days. And we had scheduled a, a zero day in Jasper at our house. And then as we were approaching, we were like, we're short a day. We need to like 
not take our zero. And so we got home, had a quick shower, resupplied, and we're off again. Wow. That, that, that right there is a little crazy to me because, you know, resupplying at your house, I would have the tendency to say, Hey man, there is a, there's a nice bed in the house right here. I mean, yeah. do we have to go back out? Can we just, you know, call it a deal? And that, that takes a lot of willpower. Yeah, it was, it was a little hard to leave. That's for sure. Now, what, what did the two of you learn about each other out there on the trail? Hmm. Well, I, I learned that Bridget doesn't like deep water. Like we had to you know, do multiple water crossings north of Jasper, and some of those crossings were, well, we call it sea level for crotch level. Uh, so they were there on her. Uh, she didn't like that at all. Um, I don't know if. Zed packs, Zed packs, and sea level. You're you're killing it, man. You're killing it. I don't. I think she probably learned that I get I get hangry in the morning, and don't not to take offense when I'm a little get, bit grumpy until I eat something, or until you get your your flavored coffee. Yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other good stories from the Great Divide Trail before we move on? Oh, there's, there's a few, I, I guess there was, um, well, I think Bridget alluded to our, our snowstorm day called winter Island. Um, so that, that was interesting. There was also a time where we were going from blueberry Lake to, uh, Chown, yeah, Ch- no best pass, which is just entering Jasper national park from a different park. And I decided to lead that day. And my my far out app or gut hook at the time just would not work. And we had to go up and over this wide open meadow. It was huge. And it was just covered with rocks and lakes and ups and downs. And my far out would not work. And there was no trail to follow. So I ended up leading them almost, uh, I thought it was closer to two miles. Scramble says it wasn't that far but kind of going, we were supposed to be going directly east and I was taking them south and just created a whole bunch more work for ourselves. And as soon as I got to the top, I was frustrated and mad with my with myself and the GPS, that far out app decided to work and like took me exactly where everybody else was. So that was, that was one of the, I guess, wild and frustrating times for me out there. How are you with a map and a compass for when the GPS does go out? I'm pretty good. Uh, like, I guess it would have helped if we had brought one that time. <laughs> we didn't We didn't bring a paper map for that one. Yeah, to be good at it, I guess you need to have one, right? So yeah. <laughs> that wasn't part of your, your minor in outdoor education? Uh, orienteering? Yeah. I, I mustn't have done very well on, on that side of the course. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's talk about the, the PCT Nobo Lash of Oregon and Washington. That uh, You've done that or it's coming up? You've done that. Uh, we, we did that in 2022. Yeah. And so, you know, I think most people are familiar with a lot of those acronyms, PCT, Nobo, 
Um, what is a lash? Uh, well, pardon my English, but it's a long ass section hike. Is that what they say up in Canada? They say, pardon my English? Because down here we say, pardon my French. <laughs> well, I because Jasper's bilingual, I have to kind of watch how I say that. So, <laughs> yeah, in Southern Saskatchewan, that's what we would have said. <laughs> Southern Saskatchewan. Now, Lash, long-ass section hike. So this is this is not just some, you know, weekend trip or, you know, seven days or even 14 days. This is, this is something that's going to take a while. Mm -hmm. And so how long did it take you to do Oregon and Washington? Uh, we scheduled it for, I think it was 46 or 47 days. Um, we started July 1st and I think we were picked up at Hearts Pass on the 27th of August. So, and we had, I think two zero days in that, in those, that time. A couple, you know, Nero days where he'd come in, short day, rest in town, and then leave the next morning, kind of thing. But no, only two, two true zeros in that time. And any desire to to finish the PCT? I mean, you're almost done. You've done two of the three states. Well, it it is definitely on our list. Where we've got our permit to go uh, southbound from Ashland, so we'll go down. Um, probably July 1st again. Nope. Sorry. We're going to take off school a little bit earlier. So we're going to go down, I think, I think it'd be June 25th or something like that. And then head South and see, hopefully we can get to South Kennedy Meadows in that, in that 60 day ish time. Nice. So, so do you foresee actually doing the PCT in, in three separate hikes? You've, you've already done Oregon, Washington. You're going to do Ashland to, south south kennedy meadows um then would the final piece be from kennedy meadows to campo i th i think we're we're determined to do the en entire thing in its entirety at some point we asked for time off last year we asked for a semester and they denied it and then they, we asked for a year and they denied that just because there's a huge teacher shortage right now um so yeah, we, they've got they've got a PE teacher thing. teaching math and science. I mean, they're they're not let you go for a semester. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah, we'll we'll definitely do it sometime. Fantastic. When you come through Acton Agua Dulce area on the PCT, yes, let me know. Okay. There's a great Mexican restaurant out there. I'll take you to. Right on. That sounds good. Okay. Now, what were your impressions of Oregon and Washington? Tell me about Goat Rock Wilderness. Oh, Go Rock, that was that was an incredible day because of the scenery and because it was so windy. Um, again, we had gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour that day, and you're up on that knife's edge. You, know, you just got to time it right, that's all. <laughs> that's right, that's right. I, I lost my hat on, on those rocks. Uh, just, I was bragging because I had the, the string all down holding it tight. And I was like, Hey, I'm all tied in. And within seconds, the wind took it off the other end. So yeah. Memorable times. It was listening. It, it, it heard you brag and said, I got to take him down a notch. Yep. Yep. Okay. Now tell us about um, low impact backpacking. And also, I know you, you had on your list here, Watersheds of Alberta. Okay. 
They they kind of go hand in hand. I because I'm an outdoor ed teacher, I I really I don't stress is the right word, but I, I remind our kids who go out that I teach in science when they go out camping with their parents to you know keep track of what they're putting into the into the rivers and streams. A lot of kids don't realize, and their parents don't realize that the the soaps that they wash their dishes and wash their ATVs with, um, they don't break down in our cold water and they just kind of create nitrates, which creates uh, those algae blooms that you see on outlets of, of lakes and stuff. And our, our watershed is, I think, pretty important to Canada and the United States because and it supplies a lot of, well, pretty much all of our drinking water and the water we use daily. And are they pretty receptive to that? Do they say, oh, uh, Mr. Semicolon, I'm going to follow that advice? Or are they? Uh... I, I think I think it makes a, a difference with them. You know, they've I'll show them videos of um, there's a, a little pond in Glacier National Park coming out of uh, out of two medicine it falls over and when we first started going there there was no algae at the bottom of the falls and you go there now and the falls are full of green kind of slimy um, algae and I've taken videos of that and showed my kids the two differences and they go wow and it's it's because people are putting stuff into the, the lake up above the falls. And so what is the proper way to get clean out there? Uh, take your, whatever you're washing after you've gathered your water from your water source, take it. I think it's a hundred feet, might have, might be 200 feet away and do your wash and then scatter your uh, dirty water into the trees or onto the ground. So the sun has a chance to heat it up and, and that's what makes it biodegrade is the, the heat. Okay. Duly noted. Two hundred feet away. Take your uh, take a bucket of water with you, right? A portable bucket, collapsible yeah. bucket, and wash up away from the water source. All right. What is what is next for semicolon and scrambles? I know you mentioned that you have a permit already from Ashland to Tehachapi. Any other yeah. big plans? When when is that? When's the permit for? Um, I think it's June twenty fifth. I think is our start date for that. Um. We have some shoulder season stuff already planned. Uh, there's a couple routes in Jasper that take us away from the populated areas. So we're gonna do those in in our May long weekend, which is our, I'm not sure if you guys have a weekend in, in May, that's a holiday, but ours is called Victoria Day. Queen's Victoria Day. Day. Yeah. We have Memorial Day. End of May. Oh, end of May. Okay. I think ours is the third weekend of May. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you were going to ask me if we had any weekends in May. I was going to say, yeah, we, we have like four or five of them. <laughs> now, I've heard you say a couple times now. I thought the first time I was I was just mistaken, but I've heard, I heard it clearly a second time here. You said shoulder season. What is shoulder season? Shoulder season? Uh, that's our, when the snow is just starting to come off the ground and until like till you can start going up high like usually around july 1st july 5th is when our summer really starts to kick in 
but like from like May and June, if you go out of the valleys, there's still a ton of snow. So that's the shoulder season in the spring. And then in the fall, you know, snow might happen the second week in September. So we still go, we still go backpacking from then on. What, what, that, what, is, what does shoulder mean? What, what is it referring to when you say shoulder season? What does the shoulder have to do with it? Well, because like the head is the main part, right? The greatest part of the body because it does all the thinking and controlling. So that's summer. I guess it depends, depends who you're talking to. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. That's how so, I explain it to my kids. So, so the head season—that's that's summer. That's that's the best yeah. season. Okay, that's and then the shoulders. Season. It's like second best season. I guess so, as you work down, right? One spring, summer, fall. Oh, now you're you're pointing at both shoulders there. You said, yeah, well, because there's two shoulder seasons. <laughs> okay, I'm thoroughly right? spring. Now. Yeah, I thought, um, I thought shoulder season referred to you actually, you know, get getting to wear like a tank top or something where your shoulders are exposed. Is that that's not that's not correct? I don't I don't think so. Okay, it's too cold up here for that. Got it. Actually, I don't got it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. All right. And then, what is this in 2024? I hear about uh, a CDT hike. It's it's on our list of things to do. Like if we can't um, somehow work out the a year off to do the PC in its entirety, it's like northbound, we'll try to do the CDT southbound. So start at Mon in Montana and go south. All in one one trip, or are you gonna are you gonna section hike it? Oh, uh, we'll lash it. Well, we might lash it. Like we've gone. We've been in Wyoming a little bit in the Windies, so that might be, if we do it that summer, might be our, our destination to get through the Windies down to the Pinedale. And then, I don't know, maybe maybe skip the Great Basin and go directly into Colorado the, the next season after. I think you should spend an entire summer in New Mexico. Well, that. That's interesting. I hear people talk about their New Mexico experience on the on the CDT, not with a whole lot of fondness. Uh, because of the lack of water, is that what it is? Lack of water, drinking out of uh, cisterns where you know cows are pooping in or dying in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. pretty tough. Pretty tough. All right, hey semicolon, you know where we are. Uh, I, I don't remember. The pro tip insight of the week. I think you did remember. I think you were just playing coy right there. <laughs> we are at that time of the episode where you get to share some trail wisdom with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better. What kind of trail wisdom do you have for us? Well, my dad always said to make everything you do an adventure. And I think some people, when they get into these adventures, they get stuck on on a destination they get stuck on a timeline we need to be here by this day or we need to be done by this month and there's lots of times where you're walking with your head down and you're missing a lot of a lot of cool things so i always like to say keep your head up keep your ears open and you will enjoy what you're doing way more than just looking at your feet that is a fantastic pro tip. I think that is one of my favorites. It doesn't just apply to hiking. It applies to life. 
You know, mm-hmm. I, I think I've said a couple times on this podcast that, you know, nobody ever tells you, they don't tell you enough that, you know, when you're a kid, you're always looking forward to something, you know, what's my, what's my career going to be? What, who am I going to marry? What college am I going to, you're always looking forward. And then at some point in your life, like the age I am now, you start looking back and you're saying, oh, you remember the good old days. You remember we did this and the kids were this age and we were doing this. Nobody ever tells you to, to soak it all up and live in the moment. Don't just mm-hmm. put your head down and march to work, you know, 40, 40, 50 hours a week, uh, thinking about uh, retirement age. Um, there's, there's all that that happens in between that you really need to be in the moment and appreciate it when it happens. So I think, I think your, your trail wisdom there, your pro tip gets to the heart of that. Yeah. I, it's de- definitely a, a daily mantra, I think for, for myself. Yeah. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with semicolon. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Mark, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? Uh, I have an Instagram account called Mark Scott Adventures. Uh, It just basically shows our daily routine, lots of hiking. Uh, Lately, we've been exploring ice caves. So you want to check out some ice caves, check check out my site. A lot of ice caves in Jasper National Park? Uh, They're becoming more and more accessible. Um, if you're willing to, you know, walk mm, six or seven miles away from the road. Okay. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamere at gmail.com. The Adventure Media Recommendation. Semicolon, also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, website, some sort of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. Call this our adventure media recommendation. Any ideas? Um, there is, I guess, a movie that I am fond of. The, it's called The Alpinist. Uh, it's about a young Canadian. Canadian, that's right. Yeah, who you know signed these contracts for media people to follow him around while he's scaling these huge uh, ascents, but he would just go out on his own without telling anybody and do it first, come back and then take the crew with him. And the crew was so upset with him most of the time because he just did it, did it his own way, which I, I kind of admire. Yeah. Incredible movie. Uh, have you sit on the edge of your seat? Uh, highly recommended. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's for sure. Have we not asked you? And before we wrap things up, semicolon, just one more segment for you called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Us About? What do we miss tonight? Uh, maybe, I don't know how much time we got to, I got a, a crazy story to tell about the Pacific Crest Trail at the very end. I'll, I'll make it, I'll make it quick. Oh, you take your time. Yeah. Um, you probably remember this summer when Parts past the access road was was washed out, and there was no way of getting out. Um, when we left Stahican, uh Scrambles and I, we had planned just enough food to get uh, to Hearts Pass, where we, we had people resupplying us. Um, so we were very light on food. And when we get to uh, just past Rainy Pass, we're filtering water and a couple 
older couple comes up beside us and start telling us about um, some fires and things like that. And we're talking away and talking away. And the man starts talking a little bit more. And as soon as he starts talking, we look up and it is the Belly River Rangers from Glacier National Park who we've had, we've met probably eight times, nine times over our times in Glacier National Park. Um, so we're like, wow, you're the uh, Belly River Rangers. So we ended up talking with them up at the pass for a while. And then the news came that the, the Hearts Pass access road had been washed out. And we still have a day to Hearts Pass and then the 30 miles there and back to the border and back. We don't have enough food and we can't get our resupply because they're not letting anybody up. So Bruce and Tracy, these rangers, they're retired. They say, come with us. We live in Twisp, which is just down the road from Rainy Pass. So they take us out. They put us up for the night. They help resupply us. They drive us back to Rainy Pass so we can finish our our lash. And I just wanted to shout out to Bruce and Tracy, the Belly River Ranger, uh, that we really appreciated your help. Fantastic. Were you, were you fanboying? Uh, not so much. It was just neat to see that because – Remember I was saying that the ranger was commenting and shaking his head at our pack. It was him. Well, you, you've come full circle with that guy. Yep. Uh, actually not full circle. That'd be 360. You'd be facing the same direction. You, you've, you've gone 180 with him. It's kind of a, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a math concept uh, semicolon. So yeah, I'd have to put that on paper. Yeah. <laughs> Graph it out. There you go. Yeah. All right. Hey, you shouted out uh, Bruce and Tracy. Any other shout outs to friends and family, Mark? Uh, definitely to the Scrambles, my my partner. She's the organizer and I couldn't do any of this without her. And also a shout out to my mom and dad who are always supportive of my adventures. Nice. All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. Doesn't care if you want to go downhill doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you spent the day timing the wind gusts so you didn't get blown off the mountain. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck.